0: Hello, folks. It's Chuck here on a Saturday Select episode. This is from April 7th, 2015. And this is a very sexy podcast episode called Polyamory, colon, When Two Just Won't Do. I think you know where this is headed right now. Welcome to Stuff You Should Know, a production of iHeartRadio's How Stuff Works.
1: Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark. There's Charles W. Chuck Bryant. Jerry's over there. And this is Stuff You Should Know.
0: That's right. Uh, All of our wives and girlfriends are in the next room. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Right. How are you doing, man?
0: I'm good. I found this topic to be super interesting. And um, I should say up front that our our jokiness that we always include in every podcast, almost, um, is not meant to be disrespectful to anyone who is was in a polyamorous relationship.
1: Yeah, and we're not here to like just kind of look at your relationship from the outside and poke at it and no. make fun of it or light of it. If you're enjoying yourself and everybody's on board and no one's being hurt, then we always say to each his own. That's
0: right. But um, from the outside, uh, polyamory might seem like a very strange arrangement. Well, I think to most people it seems like swinging. That's right, but it's not no, it is not a lot of things, it's not cheating right, it's not swinging right it's not um it's not polygamy it's not uh what was the other one well, it's not a lot of things um it's not dentistry <laughs>
1: right <laughs> uh well the, the the point is is it,
0: it, we should stop. it's not promiscuousness right yeah
1: so, so uh what it is actually, from and I had no idea, I think my conception of polyamory was that it was basically kind of swinging and it was based on it was i, I got the the root couple thing, yeah, but um that the, it was mostly like a swing kind of thing, but from research, like I realized I was pretty far off, that yeah polyamory is a in a very odd way, a form of monogamy, but that it includes more than two people in this monogamous relationship?
0: Well, not necessarily monogamous either, though, because there can be arrangements where you're allowed to go out and do what you want on the weekends with uh, people.
1: So, I ran across something that that's technically considered monogamish, (laughs) as Dan Savage coined it.
0: That sounds like a very new word. It is new. Yeah. I mean, Dan Savage coined it. Yeah. But... Which means that I'm probably not going to put too much credence in it.
1: (laughs) (laughs) But from what I understand, and I got this from um, a a polyamory site called... um, More Than Two? More Than Two. Great site. Franklin Voe is how I'm pronouncing his last name, Voe.
0: V-E-A-U-X. Yeah, and, and I'm not kidding when I say it's a great site. If you are interested thorough. in exploring polyamory, yeah. it's super thorough and very, very helpful, Yeah, I would think, yeah. uh, just by going through it.
1: And the impression that I got from him, from his FAQ at least, was that it is a – like the people in a polyamorous relationship are committed to one another. Yeah, true. And that like they're rather – in in the same way that two people, a couple, come together to form a monogamous relationship. Yeah, if you if you take that bubble and add another person or two other people or something like that but there's still that bubble of monogamy of commitment of affection um yeah, sure. that that is more close to the 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 definition of polyamory now in real life i'm sure it's different um and that there are different aspects to it or whatever but yeah. supposedly that's what i gathered
0: but i think uh polyamorous couples say why would you even use a word like monogamy when it means okay. mono? Right, that's and the poly so means more than one.
1: Committed is the word I should have yeah, used. Yeah, I
0: think that's that's the trip. And so Dan Savage, come on, monogamish. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um I knew more about this um just because there was a uh show. I don't know if it was HBO, it was probably Cinemax. That, um, followed some polyamorous relationships. Mm-hmm. And so I knew that it was not just, Hey, it's swinging or Hey, I just want an open relationship. It's, you know, I'm in a triad. I've got, uh, a man and there's a woman and there's another woman mm-hmm. or in another case, it was two couples. They all lived together. Mm-hmm. They were all in a committed relationship with one another. Right. Um, I mean, we'll talk about. It. There is no standard for a polyamorous relationship. It can really be anything you want that works for you. Yeah. Sometimes it's bisexual. Sometimes it's not. Sometimes um, the the two. Uh, it's really. I mean, we could go over a million scenarios. <laughs> you really could. <laughs> I was starting to break them all down, but it's like you it really is whatever you can work out yeah. between yourselves is polyamorous.
1: But the the point is is. Um, to maybe put it on less fine of a point, but to get a little closer potentially to a correct definition. Polyamory is not monogamy because there's more than two people. Right. And it's not cheating because all of the people involved are on the, on the same page yeah, they about what they're doing. <laughs> yeah. what, what they're doing, what their partners are doing, what everybody's doing, everyone's aware and consenting. That's right. So it's between those two things.
0: So this is the opposite of the ESP podcast. <laughs> where apparently we never even said what ESP stood for.
1: <laughs> yeah. A couple people like were like, hey, didn't catch what ESP stands for. Can you tell us? And I'm like, what? go listen again. Yeah. And then enough people said it that I was like, oh. Uh,
0: Extra sensory perception, yeah. by the way. And then we have just now defined polyamory for the last 10 minutes. So I think we're covered.
1: I think we finally landed on it, though.
0: Uh, yeah, it's a very fascinating uh, thing and um Here's how it works.
1: <laughs> well, uh, I think the... the well, let's talk about why people are polyamorous. Right. So, people who are polyamorous probably tend to think that monogamy is not for them. And if you're speaking from a um, like a evolutionary perspective, yeah. monogamy is kind of a puzzlement.
0: Yeah. Should we talk about that?
1: Yeah. So, monogamy, looking through the lens of natural selection doesn 't make sense evolutionarily because it lowers a male 's ability to um, it lowers his number of opportunities to carry on his genetic line
0: and they're for the species right exactly yeah, and uh, it was long thought by some that um, it was monogamy came about so males could assist in the raising of the young, um, but there are some new theories now that um Make that seem a little less likely or actually a lot less likely um and ironically, well, not ironically, but coincidentally they were both published <laughs> they were both published around the same time these two um, new uh theories right they uh, they
1: came out at the in enough time to really kind of compete with one another,
0: yeah, because you know when you look around the the animal kingdom um among non avian there are more birds that are uh supposedly cockroaches that are monogamous. Yeah. But if you, if you rule out the birds and the cockroaches...
1: Well, specifically mammals, too.
0: Yeah, about 5% of the 4,000 mammal species, give or take, mm-hmm. um, only about 5% are monogamous or mate for life. Right. And so, I, again, if you are strictly looking at it from the selfish
1: gene theory, mm-hmm. like the whole point would be to run around and copulate with as many females as you possibly can so that you can have more and more chances of spreading your genetic line. Yeah. And then, like you said, hence carry on the species. So to not do that, to just couple with one other person and, and have maybe a few kids rather than 30 yeah. with a bunch of different um, males and females, right? Mm-hmm. It, it, again, it, it doesn't really kind of make sense. So they've tried to explain this. And there are some theories, like you were saying. One of them is that um, if you are... A rival male, one of the things you have to do to get with another female, yeah. I think that's what biologists call it. Uh-huh, getting with. Um, You have to kill her offspring. Right. Because while she's nursing, she can't ovulate, and therefore you can't reproduce with her. That's right. But kill her kids, she's going to stop nursing. She'll be sad, but then you guys can have your own offspring. If you are a male that's staying behind after... You reproduce with a female, Mm -hmm. then you have the chance to defend your offspring from being killed by a rival male. That's right. Explanation for monogamy.
0: Yep, and that was in the proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences. And um, they found that out by studying behaviors of 230 primate species. Uh, And they felt so good about it that the guy who ran the study said, this is it. (laughs) (laughs) We now finally know for sure. But that's not necessarily true because there's another really great theory where uh, they actually published in the journal Science and studied 2,500 mammals, which is way more than the other study. Uh, Dieter Lucas and Tim uh, Klutenbrock (laughs) of Cambridge University, and they said uh, it's really about low density in females. It's that simple. Like... When there aren't many females, Uh that's where monogamy happens.
1: Right, when they're spread out because they beat up on each other when they're in the same place, females. That's right. Um, So they have to spread out geographically. Well, if you're a guy who's just running from female to female to female, Mm -hmm. you don't know what she's doing while you're not around. So you don't know whether those kids are yours or not. (laughs) So the best way to make sure that they're your kids is to hang around and be monogamous. That's right. So it's, it's... Really similar to the other theory.
0: The the you're staying around to defend the kids. Oh yeah. In this
1: one, it's a little less magnanimous. You're staying around to make sure that the female doesn't run around on you, right? Yeah. But then I I I saw a third theory that also makes sense too, Um, and that is that the idea of uh, males staying around to uh, help raise kids Uh was a strategy developed by lesser males. Oh. In the primate kingdom. So, like, the alpha male, the top guys, they're having no trouble. They can go wherever they want. They're getting plenty of action, right?
0: But Les Nesman's like,
1: hey, I can uh, care for the kids. Exactly. <laughs> and that that's a strategy that caught the attention of females who otherwise wouldn't have mated with these guys. Yeah. Because they're Les Nesman. And uh, instead said, hmm, yeah, he's a dork. I can't stand his bow tie and his short sleeve shirt. But... He does do a pretty good job with the kids, so I'm going to be monogamous yeah. with this guy. So three pretty good theories to explain monogamy. None of them hold water for polyamorists.
0: No, no. And, and everyone under the age of uh, 35 is now looking up who Les Nessman is. <laughs> that, was a,
1: that was a great reference, man.
0: Thanks. It just popped up. Um, all right. So the benefits, I believe, is what we were talking about before we delved into the Theory and I've always said monogamy too is not a natural thing, and that the reward of staying with one person is partly because of that. Yeah, you know, you it's not a natural thing. You sacrifice something in some way by being with someone, but the payoff is rich. That is wise words, Chuck. So we'll see if I end up married in twenty five (laughs) years, I'll confirm all this. (laughs) Just kidding. Of course I will be. Um, All right, so let's talk about the benefits. It is not just about um, having sex with more than one person.
1: No, that's definitely part of it.
0: It is part of it. Um, but it is also about um support and a greater you know it takes a village they say. So if you have a larger village, then you're going to have more support and care and love. Yeah, and emotional support. Um, all that stuff.
1: Right. Exactly. And it's not a polyamorous relationship or group. Doesn't necessarily have sex with one another, everybody. Um, sex is a big component of it, but you also have uh, po- what are called poly uh relationships. Yeah. Where, like, let's say you have, what do you call it, a triad? Is that a poly um, A triad is,
0: is three people, yeah.
1: Right, but that's what polyamorous call it. Yeah. Um, so let's say you have a triad where neither of the, uh, of two women and a guy, and neither of the women are bisexual. Mm-hmm. But they're still in a polyamorous relationship. Yeah. They would be polyaffective. Like they have a, a an emotional connection to one another like a, a couple would, but they're not sexually involved with one another. Right. They're polyaffective. Right. That's another component of a polyamorous relationship. So the whole thing is not just satisfying your every sexual need with a bunch of different people. Um, it's also that th- I think they believe that you have – a lot of different needs that one person can't necessarily satisfy beyond sex as well. It can yeah. be cultural interests. It can be pastimes. It can be what have you. And so the idea behind polyamory is you find those people in your life who combined mm-hmm. make that single ideal person Yeah. rather than placing all that on one single person for better or for worse.
0: Yeah. I looked at an example on the um, – uh, what was it? Two for one?
1: No. <laughs> two or more? More than two. More than two. More than two. <laughs> more than two. two for
0: one. <laughs> more than two. Com. I looked at one. They have a lot of just stories and examples of people, like real stories. And yeah. this one lady um, was married to a guy who quite simply was not into a lot of the things she was into. Uh-huh. Um, she was big into the theater, I think, and museums. Mm-hmm. Her husband didn't like that. Uh, they developed into a polyamorous relationship, and she had another man that was really into that stuff, an old high school boyfriend, I think. Uh And um, he uh, took up with another woman who had similar interests as him, and they all worked it out. And, you know, people would say, well, why don't you just leave the husband then who you don't have these things in common with and go with the old high school boyfriend? That's a neat story. She was like, well, because he's really needy, and my husband isn't, and we have a lot of great stuff. Uh, So it is literally, like you said, satisfying all my needs through multiple people because... Who can expect one person to be that soulmate that gives you everything you need? Nice. And these suckers who are in monogamous marriages are just uh, (laughs) sacrificing certain parts of their life, like uh, going to museums or whatever if it was this lady.
1: So, everybody, we're about to satisfy all of your needs (laughs) with this commercial break. Hey, now. All right, and we're back. So, Chuck, um, we were talking about why people do
0: polyamory, right? Do polyamory? (laughs) Yeah. Let's talk
1: about how polyamory actually works.
0: Yeah, I mean, uh, anyone in a marriage that's, you know, things get more complicated as you get older. So I don't mean to talk down to people in their 20s, but relationships get a little more complicated as you get older and you get more responsibilities. Mm -hmm. So if you're married and you're in your 30s or 40s or 50s, you know it is, uh, or any kind of committed relationship, you know it's logistically tough sometimes.
1: Well, yeah, because you're like, I want this. And this other person who you share half of your estate with
0: says, no, I want this. Or I want to do this, or I want to do that, or I want a vacation here or there. exactly. Just keeping up with schedules, it's all very complicated. It's all compromise.
1: It is. Life is one big compromise, and you're compromising between two people's opinions. Imagine... Just throwing in one extra opinion that differs from the other two, that exactly. has equal weight.
0: Exactly. So that's uh, basically what we're getting at is if you think your marriage is complicated, polyamory <laughs> can be even more complicated, right. and they admit that it can be more complicated, but they say that, uh, and this is really what I gathered from reading that site and a bunch of articles mm-hmm. is that
1: two for one,
0: two for one. You want to meet a great communicator. Go talk to someone in a polyamorous relationship.
1: Yeah, so that's one of the chief requirements of polyamory. Got to be able to talk
0: about all this stuff.
1: I've seen it put as you have highly evolved communication skills. Yes, I, think is I, a, I would a not be
0: a good polyamorous. Oh, me either. No, man, I, I, like <laughs> I wouldn't last two days. You
1: no, know, I stink. I stink at, at communicating. Yeah. I, I think I'm just doing fine, and it turns yeah. out. Oh wait, I didn't say that.
0: Chuck, is this bothering you? Well, no. <laughs> oh, yeah. But it's really bothering me.
1: Well, that's another thing, too. Not only do you have to be a great communicator and get your point across and read other people and listen and that kind of thing, but mm-hmm. you also have to be honest about your feelings. And super honest. one of the things that polyamorists face, just like anybody else, is jealousy. Yeah. We did a pretty good episode on jealousy a while back. Yeah, Jealous everybody...
0: Much was the name of it. Yeah,
1: yeah, with a question mark. Jealous Much? Right. <laughs> um, And so they deal with jealousy and and, and they deal with it apparently, ideally, again, this is from morethan2.com, in a way where it would take a pretty intelligent, calm person to approach the feelings of jealousy like this, which is basically deconstructing it. So the guy at morethan2.com kind of gave a a good example where he was saying... um, you're in a polyamorous relationship, and it bugs you when your spouse kisses their other spouse in front of you. Right. And he, he says the correct thing to do basically here is to stop and say, okay, why does that make me jealous? Right. And if you are honest with yourself, you'll say, well, it makes me jealous because I worry that the other spouse— and by the way, in a polyamorous relationship, the plural of spouse is spice— is it really? Yeah, so if you're that. married to two people, you have two spice. Yeah. Um, which is kind of funny.
0: Sure, you got a spicy uh, love life.
1: Anyway, when the other spouse, if, if you're worried that your spouse is kissing his other spouse, he's going to think that that spouse is a better kisser than you and think, well, that spouse is, if he's a better kisser, then you, he wants to yeah. be with him more than me. And if he wants to be with him more than me, then uh, he's going to leave me. I think jealousy
0: is often rooted in your own insecurities, for sure.
1: So what this guy was saying is if you spell this out, you realize that there's a lot of hidden assumptions in your jealous feelings and that when you confront them, you will probably discard a lot of them. If you find that, no, this is correct, this person really would leave me because that person's a better kisser, um, then you would ask yourself, do I want to be with somebody who would leave me because somebody else is a better kisser? Yeah. Um, So if you can approach this kind of stuff in this manner, Mm -hmm. then maybe you'd be a decent polyamorous.
0: Yeah. uh, There's a lady named uh, Terry Connolly, a professor of psychology and women's studies at University of Michigan. uh, Go Wolverines. Yeah. And she's... Go blue. She's one of the... Well, not one of the only people, but there haven't been many studies on polyamory. Um, One reason is because it's uh, underreported in a lot of cases because people, some people may not like to be uh, really out front with it. Yeah, and for good reason. Yeah, for very good reasons. But um, she did some studies and polls and things, and she found that jealousy is, in fact, uh, she said, quote, much higher, end quote, among monogamous pairs than non-monogamous ones, and I think for the reasons you just said. Um, She also found, um, she interviewed 1,700 individuals, poly, um, I'm sorry, monogamous individuals, 150 swingers, 170 people in an open relationship, and 300 polyamorous individuals and said that polyamorous tended to have equal or higher levels of sexual satisfaction. uh, And people in open relationships tended to have lower sexual satisfaction than their monogamous peers and polyamorous peers.
1: So, and we should say, open is not the same as polyamorous. Again, in a polyamorous group, the people in the group form a closed whole. Yeah. In an open relationship, it's like... There's two people who are connected, but they're also facing outward, and the whole world's up for grabs, basically. Right. In an open relationship, you know? Right. It's not—so polyamorous is not an open relationship. No. An open relationship is not polyamorous. But a polyamorous relationship could include swinging, from what I understand. Yes. And did you know that swinging apparently started mm-hmm. among— World War II Air Force pilots I and their know.
0: families. You knew that? Yeah, because you supposedly, if your uh, husband died in battle, it was just sort of understood that that woman would then take up with another serviceman, correct?
1: I, I guess, but with an, another married serviceman or what? I
0: don't know about that.
1: Huh. Well, apparently it started out with, like, they called it wife swapping in World War Two in the Air Force. Like, specifically yeah. the Air Force, not like, oh, American servicemen. Like the Air Force, so I guess they know who it was.
0: Um, I I think I've told the story about the Atlanta Swingers Club was very close to my phone number growing up. (laughs) (laughs) And we used to, I was a kid, I had no idea what it meant, of course, and I used to answer the phone and people would be like, is this the Atlanta
1: Swingers Club? (laughs) They'd just be like.
0: (sighs) (laughs) And my mom would, I just remember it was so like troublesome to her and uh, she she kept the whistle next to the phone and would blow a whistle into it. (laughs) (laughs) It's so funny to think about now. As an the adult. Shame whistle. <laughs> I guess so. Man. <laughs> Very funny,
1: man.
0: Uh, I still remember that number too. Do you remember your original phone number? Three eight two nine zero four zero nine eight one nine zero one nine. Nice. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. Um, I'm sorry for anyone who has those numbers today, <laughs> <laughs> right. or to the Atlanta Swingers Club, which is still operational. I'm sure. Yeah. Um, all right. Another thing we need to talk about are uh, STIs. Um, sexually transmitted infection, you would think that um, it would be higher in a polyamorous relationship. Uh-huh. And they don't have statistics. It may or may not be the case. But what they are adamant about is lots of testing and lots of access to those results and being super open about those results, right. um, apparently much more so than um, people in monogamous relationships, like new, new relationships. They found that people in new monogamous relationships are often very shy about talking about their sexual history right. and potential um, infections and things, whereas they're really upfront about it in polyamory.
1: Yeah, and, and they kind of have to be, and they kind of just make it a, a normal, open thing. But that's part of that open, honest communication that's, that's kind of a hallmark of polyamory. Yeah, and they it's, even— it's uh, to, it's, It has a practical application oh, in sure. defending against STIs.
0: Yeah, they did. There was one study in 2012 uh, in the Journal of Sexual Medicine that found that um, unfaithful, like cheaters, uh, not like a, like a cheater, mm. you're in a monogamous relationship and you're cheating. Oh yeah, I saw this. They're much more likely to engage in risky sexual behavior and to keep it a secret than uh, someone in a polyamorous relationship. Right. Because you go off and you cheat and you keep it quiet and you do something super risky, you know, hook up with someone randomly that you don't know. And that's just that's kinda like the opposite of polyamory from what it sounds like.
1: Right. With polyamory, it's like, okay, it's your, it's time for your weekly S T D test. Right. I wanna see the paper.
0: And we're not <laughs> hooking up with some random person. There if there are one thing that there's a lot of in a polyamorous relationship are rules.
1: Yeah, if you haven't picked up on that yet.
0: Yeah, you gotta have the ground rules laid down. Um how much time uh are you gonna spend with this person versus that person? Um All the way down to rules in the bedroom, Um, it sounds a little gross, but fluid swapping is a big deal. So there's
1: a thing, one of the ways they protect against um, STDs is, uh, well, let's talk about some of the arrangements, okay? Okay. All right. Cuz I think we need to because these different rules that we're talking about here will apply differently to different types of sure. relationships. So, obviously there's a triad, you can also have a quad. I can imagine that you could go up to 6, 8, whatever. <laughs> the point is is um when you have a group that are equal to one another, where everybody's equal to one another. Yeah. That's one that's one form of the polyamorous relationship, right? Yep. There's another form that's hierarchical. Right. Which is based on a core couple that are are the married. primaries. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They would be the primary and then say each of them has a a significant other.
0: Yeah. Like a boyfriend or girlfriend.
1: Those would be the secondaries. Mm-hmm. And then maybe they have another person that they're they're close to, they see once in a while, maybe they live out of town, something like that. That would be potentially a tertiary. Um, relationship, right? Yeah,
0: like you break the twister game out and they show up,
1: right? So the 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 difference between the two is with the hierarchical uh, relationship mm-hmm. or the hierarchical format, the the person that's your spouse, the the core group, the core couple people, yeah, they're the ones who are going to get the most time, the most attention. They're going to have more power to say veto the others.
0: Yeah, veto is a big deal.
1: Yeah. Um, in, a, a, in the other relationship that forms, like a triad or a quad or six people or something like that, where everybody is equally weighted, mm-hmm. that's the, the, that you wouldn't have like a hi- – there's no hierarchical structure to that.
0: Yeah, and it depends on how you want to structure things. They're both completely valid uh, as polyamorous relationships. Um, it's just you know up to you, basically.
1: And so you said the veto power is a big deal.
0: Yeah, I think it's always to be honored.
1: Right. So if, if um, somebody is 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 meeting somebody new and, and wants to date them, they mm-hmm. basically have to go to the rest of the group that they're committed to in this committed yeah. relationship with and say, I got this person, I'd like to bring them into the group. I don't know this, but I can imagine that is a huge thing. Sure. Especially in a long-established um, m- polyamorous relationship. Yeah. Group. You know, Mm -hmm. like bringing a new person in, I'll bet that would be really big deal. Yeah, can
0: you imagine being that dude and showing up? Right. It's like the worst job interview of all time. (laughs) Especially if you don't
1: know what's going on. Oh, yeah. Uh, Plus, uh, in the hierarchical structure then, I can imagine the veto power probably just rests with the two core people, maybe slightly in the secondary people. Right. Probably not at all in the tertiary people. Yeah,
0: they're just there for twister.
1: But with the... um, The STI thing, um, if you are what's called uh, body fluid uh, monogamous.
0: Yeah, which I was kind of joking about that. It sounds gross. It's really not at all. That's basically saying that we can have sex with each other without condoms. Hmm. And I'm sorry, I'm saying you and me. (laughs) (laughs) I thought you were talking to somebody behind (laughs) me. But um, maybe the secondary and I have to wear condoms we don't exchange those fluids so intimately and freely.
1: Or um, if you're in a group, like everybody in the group might be body fluid monogamous, Mm -hmm. but if they are agreed that they can go outside of the group, they would not be. Or if it's a hierarchical structure, yeah, that primary couple would just be body fluid monogamous, and everybody else would be, right. you'd have to wear a condom or something. Yeah,
0: or it may not even involve sex. Maybe your secondaries are, you go on dates with, and you can, um, you know, Go to first and second base, and that's where it ends. <laughs> like it's really all about the the people in the relationship working out what works best for them. Right. All right. So let's take a break here and uh, talk more about the uh, polyamory. Right after this.
1: Mm-hmm. Stuff Okay, Chuck, we're back. Um, so one of the things that I found interesting about polyamory um, was that they, they had to coin some terms because they were really breaking new ground here in, in trying things with relationships. Yeah, there's a whole glossary at uh, yeah.
0: two or more. Spice
1: is the plural of spouse. Yeah. Um, and then there's a word called compersion that's yeah. very much associated with polyamory. And it is basically the mirror image of jealousy.
0: Yeah, it's being super happy that your um, primary has found someone else that they really love and are satisfied with.
1: Yeah, and not just your primary, anybody you're yeah, in a, exactly. a polyamorous relationship with. Yeah, that they've found happiness with somebody else, and you're happy for them because mm-hmm. of that. Right. So, yeah, that's not a normal thing for most people, especially people in traditional monogamous relationships. Yeah. So, polyamorous people kind of I guess, stumbled upon this thing and had to come up with the name for it, and they call it compersion.
0: Yeah. And if, you know, if you think to yourself as a monogamous person, well, what, you know, this person goes off, your wife all of a sudden is sleeping with another man. What's to keep her from really falling in love with him to the extent that she no longer wants to be with you? Of course, that can happen, mm-hmm. but that can happen in your regular marriage as well. And if the only thing that's binding your marriage is that, um, You've got bigger problems in your marriage if the only thing binding you to that marriage is, like, the marital contract that you feel like you have to stay, you know, uh, true to. Right. You know? Like, in a regular marriage, you should want to be with your husband and your wife. Like, it doesn't matter what the piece of paper says. Right. Um, I would guess, and
1: again, I don't know, I would guess that polyamorists have some sort of structure or mechanism to deal with that. Yeah. If, especially if, there is a, if that happens where somebody starts out as a married couple but then they include a, a third person and become a triad, if one of them really starts to fall for the other one, that, that doesn't mean that the, the initial couple is going to break up right. and that couple is going to split off. That's not polyamory. That's not how it works. So I wonder what kind of mechanism they have to deal with that. Like checks and balances maybe? Yeah. Yeah. There's got to be something.
0: Uh, They did do. There was one study uh, in the Electronic Journal of Human Sexuality in 2005 that said um, polyamorous couples who had been together more than 10 years listed love and connection as the most important factors in their longevity, and monogamous couples listed religion and family as the most important reasons. Yeah. Uh, and that's what I was sort of clumsily trying to say. Yeah. The only thing keeping you together is the fact that your husband or wife hasn't slept with someone else.
1: Or your parents are going to be disappointed.
0: Yeah. It's, I mean, those aren't reasons to stay married. Right. You know?
1: So um, we already touched on also the idea that if you are in a polyamorous relationship, you, you, know, you might not share a lot of interests with your primary, but you've got the ones that your primary is not interested in, you get to share with your secondary or your tertiary or whatever, right? Right. Um, so just having more people to spend life with, that's another benefit of it. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of drawbacks to being in a polyamorous relationship that I think any polyamorous would readily admit as well.
0: Sure. Um, just and, being in a, in a quote fringe sexual, yes. sexuality, I think
1: living your romantic and reproductive life, as we'll talk about in a minute, mm-hmm. um, in complete contrast to societal values, mm-hmm. is that's um, got to be tough.
0: Yeah, and you know, over the years, acceptance of this has um, uh, been zilch to— con- I was going to
1: say, <laughs> you better be saying peaked.
0: No, zilch to confusion to, um, these days, a little more um, open-minded about things. I did see one poll here from, uh, I think it was in April of this year, actually, where they polled about 1,300 heterosexuals on how willing they would be on a scale of one to seven— to commit non-monogamous acts, uh, like adding a third party to the relationship, and depending on the scenario, sixteen percent of women and thirty-one percent of men chose four or higher on that scale when asked if they'd be willing to pursue, like try something like that out, basically. Mm-hmm. So it's.
1: I wonder it's a lot what higher it was than,
0: before. I don't know. Lower. <laughs>
1: so, did you did you say before that um, there was this two thousand two survey that found that? Um, that predicted as much as 10%
0: yeah, of that, people? Yeah, that's high compared to other studies I've seen. Yeah. I saw, like, at the most, maybe 4%.
1: Yeah, I can't imagine 10%. There's just no way. No. Um, because, I mean, I'm pretty hip. You know, I know what's going on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I would just be blown away if it turned out that 1 in 10 people were in a polyamorous relationship and and, and just managed to keep it secret that much.
0: Yeah, but I agree.
1: secrecy is... A big part of this, and that's not to say that shame is a part of a polyamorous relationship, but secrecy is, just out of necessity, a, um, a, a pretty big aspect of polyamorous relationships, mainly because, like we said, it's in stark contrast to mm-hmm. social values, and if you got a kid, you're at risk of having your kid taken away.
0: Yeah, plus, I mean, you'd spend half your life explaining this to everybody. Right. You know, um, there was the one case, and uh, and I couldn't find up any follow-up about this young woman. But uh, April, what was her last name? Devilbus. Yeah, she was on the MTV show in the late 90s and had a child and had two men in her life, a triad. Yeah. And everyone was happy. The kid was healthy and happy, and everything was great, and the grandmother... Sued for custody and won it, yeah. Because w- the court basically made a moral judgment and said this is a depraved lifestyle.
1: Yeah, and this was in spite of the fact that the court sent its own shrinks to go evaluate yeah. the home and the family and didn't find that the kids were any in anything but a loving, supporting home. Yeah. and were happy and healthy. Uh, still, it didn't matter because it was she was living a depraved lifestyle, so she lost her kid. Um, I can imagine that in almost any state in the union, you would be at great risk of losing your kid if you came out as a polyamorous family. Yeah, probably. It's one thing, I think, as far as society goes, to be like, okay, you guys just go do your own thing, whatever floats your boat. That's fine. Just keep it out of our faces. Keep your your little polyamorous lifestyle quiet. Mm -hmm. But if it turns out that there's kids that are being brought into that, like either they already existed or you're having kids with multiple partners in this polyamorous relationship. Right. I think society's threshold for understanding and sure. looking the other way really reaches an end. Yeah. For better, or for worse, right? Yeah. Um, so I think there is a real threat, and there's, there's a real threat still in part because there's very little scholarship on the impact that a polyamorous upbringing has on children. Yeah, they don't know. No, no one knows. Polyamorous will say, Look, dude, you have no idea how much our child is loved. Right. My wife loves our kid. I love our kid. Our wife loves our kid. Yeah. So not only does our kid get to, like, be raised by two loving parents, our kid gets to be raised by three loving parents equally. Um, There's more of a division of labor. Uh, It's it's just the kid's great. And on the other side, you'll find blog posts by people who are authorities – on the other side saying, yeah. no, there's just no way because you're, you're at risk of a divorce, but it's a non-traditional divorce, whereas under a normal divorce, we have a social structure to support kids who are going through that. Yeah. With this, it's like, that doesn't make any sense and the kid's going to be have all sorts of issues. And then if you don't tell your kid while you're raising them, when they get to college and figure out what was going on, they're not going to trust you any longer. Yeah. like, But none of this, almost none of it, is based on... Studies, right, it's all just uh, moral judgments on one way or the other,
0: yeah, I think it's pretty funny that's I bet the same people that don't think a child should be raised by a single parent also probably think three <laughs> right. or more they're like just two, yes, <laughs> yeah, not one, not three or four, or five, yeah, two is perfect, yeah uh, so who are polyamorous um Elizabeth Sheff is a sociologist who's done a lot of interviewing and. She finds generally they are in their 30s, 40s, and 50s, uh, generally white and liberal and educated, Uh, many of them uh, highly educated, master's degrees to the tune of like 40% compared to 8%. 40% master's degrees? Yeah, that's what I saw. Wow. Compared to 8% in the general population. Gotcha. Uh, And she says uh, rarely are they religious, but when they do, it's usually paganism or Unitarian Universalism. Uh, Apparently, there's a lot of overlap with the BDSM and cosplay communities. Mm -hmm. And here's another term, hunting the unicorn. Did you come across that? No, I didn't. I'm disappointed in myself. (laughs) That is, um, she said that a lot of couples are introduced or interested in polyamory by start uh, looking for a woman, bisexual woman, to Mm -hmm. enter their relationship. So, I want a triad. I want two women. The woman's like, I would like a woman as well. And so let's go out and find that. That's, that's called uh, hunting the unicorn.
1: <laughs> uh, what else?
0: Uh, I got nothing else. I mean, I, I did look up a little bit of the history of this kind of thing. And it's there was, uh, have you ever heard of the Oneida commune? Yeah.
1: I think we touched upon that did in we? communism.
0: Oh, really? I think so. Well, they were, it uh, sounds like a cult. But um, it's super interesting because it was in the 1840s. In upstate New York, in Oneida, New York, where you usually don't, in the 1840s, hear about things like um, free sex and polyamory. But that's exactly what was going on there. A lawyer named John Humphrey Noyes uh, basically started a a, a free love commune in the 1840s in New York. And uh, by some accounts, it was a very um, feminist group because women were encouraged to only have sex when they wanted to which, you know, in the 1840s, that wasn't the norm. Um, But it was also, as it turned out, not so great in many ways because they, like, had sex with teenagers. And the more I read about it, at first it sounded like this commune, and then 10 minutes later I was like, no, this was a cult. (laughs) Right, gotcha. And it had religious undertones. And the weirdest thing out of all is Oneida silverware that is still popular today, Mm -hmm. it was formed from that commune.
1: Yeah. I, I remember hearing it as, like, some sort of cautionary tale or whatever.
0: Yeah. And there was only, like, 300 of them. But apparently they—I th- I think it was all about having lots of kids to um, keep that commune going uh, was the main reason. Yeah. But they did not encourage um, monogamy at all. They they shunned it. Yeah. If you were caught, like, really rooting down with one person, they were like, no, 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 no. You can't do that. Go off and have sex with someone else <laughs> right <laughs> Right now. You get
1: your priorities in order.
0: <laughs> Basically. Get your head together. Yeah. There, I, I'm sure there's a documentary on that clan. That'd be interesting. I'm sure.
1: Uh, if you want to know more about polyamory and other alternative lifestyles, you can search those in the search bar at HowStuffWorks.com. And uh, since I said search bar, it's time for listener mail.
0: Uh, here's more on tea. Uh, hey guys, listen to tea. I'm a massive tea connoisseur for the last seven years. I was really impressed. I expected to listen and pick out a bunch of little mistakes, but I was pleasantly surprised. Uh, however, you guys <laughs> did leave out what? I can't wait to <laughs> skewer them on this one. No, I don't think so. Uh, Aaron sounds like a nice dude. Um, you left out one major category of tea, though. Uh, and It's spelled P U E R H. Puerh uh, is what I'm going to say. He said it's probably the most unique tea out of the six types. Tome. Uh, to the Yunnan province of China as the only tea to be fermented, not oxidized. Uh, what this means is that Pu is, and I know that's wrong, is able to be aged for years and years and taste better as it ages, just like wine. And some Pu Air on the market that's several decades old goes for thousands of dollars per disc. Disc? Yes, disc. Traditionally, Pu is stone pressed into a disc form called a Bing Cha. And it's sold um, in that disc form. And it has a forest floor flavor and is brewed at about 205 to 210 degrees Fahrenheit. I gotta try that stuff. Yeah, it sounds good. Um, He said, I could go on and on, but that's the gist. Uh, Great job overall, guys. I know it's tough to fit it all in one episode. Tea could easily be its own college class with all the cultural history behind it. Take care. And that is from uh, Aaron Krause, who's developer at thesociety.org. That is T H E S O C I E T E A dot org. Nice.
1: Thanks a lot, Aaron, and your cohorts at the society. Sounds neat. Uh, it sounds like the Juanita cult. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I like it. Okay. Uh, if you want to get in touch with us, you can, let's see, what can you do, Chuck? Tweet to us? Yeah. At SYSK Podcasts, you can join us on Facebook.com/stuffyoushouldknow. You can send us an email to at howstuffworks.com. and as always, join us at our home on the web, stuffyoushouldknow.com.
0: Stuff You Should Know is a production of iHeartRadio's How Stuff Works. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.